This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I will be your host. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode, which is episode 214, entitled Jesus' Promised Life Misunderstood in John chapter 8. And before we move to our introduction, I want to encourage you to subscribe to the podcast. If you're listening to this on YouTube, just click the subscribe button. That helps quite a lot. And if you're listening to this on iTunes, you can also subscribe for free. These are free ways that you can help the podcast. Now, we are in the midst of our ongoing series that aims to better understand the narrative theme of misunderstanding within the Gospel of John. This theme is a very important concept to grasp in order to intelligently read the fourth Gospel. So, it is vital that we clearly articulate the theme and its three steps. So the way that the theme of misunderstanding repeatedly appears within the Gospel of John sounds like this. First, Jesus will say an ambiguous statement. Second, the conversation partner misunderstands it, either by interpreting it literally or by asking an inappropriate question. Third, either Jesus or the narrator explains the statement, although sometimes the explanation is missing, but implied. So in this week's episode, we will continue to look at the chapter that contains the highest frequency of misunderstandings in the fourth gospel, John chapter 8. Our passage for the week deals with Jesus offering the promise to those who maintain his word, that is, his gospel message of the kingdom, in that he promises that they will never see death. This statement by Jesus leads to not one, but two related misunderstandings on the part of his Jewish interlocutors. How was Jesus misunderstood? And how does the clarifying response given by Jesus help us better understand the Christology and monotheism of the Gospel of John. Let's find out in this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is looking at the eternal life offered by the Son, misunderstood. I'll be reading out of John chapter 8, and we will start in verse 47. This is Jesus speaking. He says, He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never 
see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and the prophets also. And you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. That's John chapter 8, verses 47 through 55. Before we look closer at the particular misunderstanding and how Jesus clarifies it, I want to highlight a few key points from this particular passage. We know that there is some polemical language at the beginning of the passage that suggests that certain Jewish people are not actually from God. Many modern readers have found this very troubling. But we can see here is that the defining factor of who belongs to God, according to the theology of the Gospel of John, is that the person possesses the ability to accept Jesus as the one true God's authorized and anointed agent. It's not enough to acknowledge that there is one God and that one God is the Father. You also have to acknowledge that Jesus is the one God's authorized and anointed king, the Son of God, the Messiah. We can also see that Jesus' claims are understood by the Jews as confused, influenced by demon possession, and even dangerously arrogant. They think that Jesus is confused, that he has a demon, and then they straight up ask him, whom do you claim to be? Now, the promise of never seeing death actually leads the argument towards the questioning of whether Jesus thinks that he is greater than Abraham, who is the primary patriarch of the Jewish people, of the Israelite people and their history. And, of course, they ask the question, who does this supposed spokesman for God think that he is? Now, portraying Jesus as greater than a particular Jewish patriarch has already taken place in the Gospel of John, earlier in chapter 4, where Jesus is speaking with the Samaritan woman. The question is raised as to how Jesus is greater than the patriarch Jacob. And Jesus responds to that question in a very interesting way. Jesus responds to the question as to whether he is greater than the patriarch Jacob by saying that he is the Christ, God's Messiah. That's in John chapter 4, verses 35 through 36. So here we see that Jesus is going to be accused of being better than Abraham, also better than the prophets, but primarily looking at Abraham, it's looking at yet another of these Jewish patriarchs. And presumably, since Abraham is a father figure to the figure of Jacob, Abraham would be 
ranked higher than Jacob. So how do the conversation and its misunderstandings lead to the question of Jesus in relationship to Abraham? We have to look a little bit closer at the misunderstanding, and that moves us to our second point, point number two. Looking closer at the theme of misunderstanding involving Jesus' promised life. So the theme of misunderstanding, as you will surely recall, first starts off by Jesus making an ambiguous statement. So we can see this in chapter 8, verse 51, where Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. So those who hold fast to, maintain, and keep Jesus' word, which is his saving good news, his gospel message of the kingdom of God, those persons will never see death. And we look closer at the Greek of this particular verse, we can see what is called a double negation. Now, a double negation in Greek is different from a double negation in English. In English, when you negate twice, it's considered a poor grammar. When you say something that, I ain't not going to do something, that's considered very, very poor grammar. But in Greek, you can negate twice for extended emphasis. And so there is a double negation here in chapter 8, verse 51, particularly in relation to the fact that they will not see death. So instead of translating this passage as saying that if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death, the particular translator and the translation that I have quoted chose to say that he will never see death. And if you look for the Greek word never in this particular passage, you're not going to find it because the normal negation would have you just say that he will not see death, but a double negation puts the stress there. It's not that he just won't see death. He will never see death. He certainly will not see death. So it's very interesting that that emphasis is there. Now, Jesus is indicating that he is a legitimate agent of the Father who is able to offer eternal life. Not that Jesus is the source of eternal life, but rather because he is the agent who bears the prerogative of the ability to give life from the Father. This has already been clearly stated by Jesus earlier in the Gospel of John in a variety of places. One particular place is in chapter 5, verse 26, where Jesus says, Just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. John 5, 26, where there Jesus acknowledges that the Father has given to the Son the ability to have life in himself. And of course, Jesus goes on in that passage to talk about the fact that he's going to raise the dead. So Jesus has the ability to impart never-ending life, eternal life, the life of the age to come. Not because Jesus possesses this ability innately, but because he bears this prerogative from God. And this makes Jesus an authorized agent of God. So that's the initial statement, and of course it gets misunderstood. So 
in the theme of misunderstanding, the second part of it, is that the conversation partner is going to misunderstand what Jesus says, either by interpreting it literally or asking an inappropriate question. And we can see this taking place in verses 52 through 53 of chapter 8. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died and the prophets also, and you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Now in Greek, there are a couple places here to where it's very clear that the Jewish interlocutors are really stressing the fact that Jesus is making these claims. And it's not so much the claims that are being made, it's the fact that Jesus is making them. So when they respond here by saying, and you say, in Greek, we have the independent pronoun and the nominative used in addition to the verb, kai si leis. And in Greek, as I've tried to indicate in a variety of these episodes, when an independent pronoun in the nominative is used in addition to a verb, where the verb already has the subject bound up within it, the placement of the independent pronoun is there for emphasis. So it's not simply that they are acknowledging, and you say, there's a stress there on the you. It's, and you say, they're stressing the fact that it is Jesus who is making these particular points. They're doing this, of course, to contrast themselves. And of course, in this particular misunderstanding, they are contrasting Abraham and the prophets. Now, it's very interesting to compare and contrast what Jesus actually said with what the Jews accused him of saying. When we look back at what Jesus said, he said that if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death, in verse 51. And then when the Jews quote Jesus, they actually respond by saying that, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. So the wording is a little bit different there. Jesus said that they won't see death, and the Jews said that Jesus said that they will never taste of death. Wording is different here, but the meaning actually is pretty much synonymous. To see and encounter death is the same thing as tasting death, at least in the way that the Bible uses this particular phraseology. But even so, this subtle change in wording is showing that the Jews in John chapter 8 are increasingly unable to understand Jesus and follow his argument. They aren't even able to listen to him clearly. They're responding to him, and they're slightly misquoting what he's trying to say here. And this is going to become much more relevant next week in the following misunderstanding to where there is a massive shift in what Jesus says to what the Jews accuse him of saying. So we can see the subtle change right now, and we can see a much greater change in the passage for next week. And I think this is beginning to show that the Jewish 
dialogue partners of Jesus are becoming more and more unhinged. They're becoming unable to follow his argument. And that's something that I think is there in the text. And we should acknowledge it. So although Jesus is trying to indicate that he possesses this God-given prerogative to give life to others, he is misunderstood as saying that he will never die and that his followers will never die. Because they're saying, look, Abraham died, the prophets died. What are you trying to say, Jesus? So there's a misunderstanding there in regard to the life that Jesus is offering. Now, at the end of this misunderstanding, there is an initial question that is offered that I think really needs our focus. The Jews say, whom do you make yourself to be? And this points to, in my opinion, a two-fold confusion. The Jews are not just confused with Jesus regarding the life that he's offered, but they are confused about who Jesus is making himself out to be. And I actually think that these two confusions, while distinct, are actually related. They are related in that Jesus is perceived by the Jews as offering something that he does not legitimately possess. And so, Jesus is perceived as making himself out to be someone illegitimately. It's a statement here of whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus is perceived as making himself out to be someone. We'll come back and talk about this a little bit further because this is not the only time that Jesus is accused by the Jews in the Gospel of John as making himself out to be someone illegitimately. So the third part of the theme of misunderstanding has Jesus or the narrator explain what Jesus said. And we get an explanation here in verse 54 of chapter 8. Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. And that's chapter 8, verse 54. So, although there are two distinguishable misunderstandings, being the life offered by Jesus and whom Jesus claims to be. It is the latter of which Jesus actually gives a formal response. Granted, if Jesus' Jewish interlocutors could come to see and accept who Jesus was as God's anointed agent, the Messiah, then they would have a better grasp of how it is that Jesus is able to offer this life, how it is that one who has this God-given prerogative of life-giving is able to make these sort of statements. So let's move to our third and final point today, which is the Christological implications to Jesus' promised life in John chapter 8. Now, in this particular interchange between Jesus and the Jews, he is accused of being a Samaritan. And many readers just read over this and they don't stop to think, why is it that Jesus was accused of being a Samaritan? What would that have meant? How would it have been understood? And why is that significant for a particular passage? 
Well, the theology of the Gospel of John understands Samaritans as those who do not know God. When we look earlier at Jesus when he was talking to a Samaritan woman, Jesus himself says in chapter 4, verse 22, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. John 4, 22-23. So the perception of the Samaritans is that they don't know who they worship. The Jews know, but the Samaritans don't. And so the Jews here in our present passage, perceiving Jesus to be talking about something in ignorance, they label him a Samaritan. In their view, Jesus is simply confused about the identity of God. And Jesus will answer this objection a few verses later when he reaffirms Jewish monotheism and he defines God the Father's oneness. Now, Jesus is not only accused of being a Samaritan, he is also accused of being demon-possessed. And the accusation of Jesus having a demon is somewhat frequent in the Gospel of John, if you look at all the occurrences. Back in chapter 7 and verse 20, the crowd answered Jesus by saying, You have a demon who seeks to kill you. And, of course, Jesus is accused of having a demon twice in our current passage, in 8, verse 48, and verse 52. And, of course, Jesus firmly denies this claim in chapter 8, verse 49. In a future passage, in chapter 10, verse 20, many of the people were saying that he has a demon and he is insane. Why do you listen to him? And that passage is followed by another passage which holds a different perception on demon possession. In chapter 10, verse 21, others were saying, these are not the sayings of one demon-possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? So the accusation of Jesus being demon-possessed is somewhat frequent in the Gospel of John, and it seems to be a result of of the Jews or the crowds perceiving Jesus as saying something irrational, confusing, or insane. And Jesus responds to this insult by affirming that he is honoring the Father. He is honoring his Father, and he does not seek his own glory. Jesus correctly points out that the one true God is the one who actually seeks and judges. Now, when we look at our current passage, we can also get a little bit more information about the relationship between Jesus and the Father. Jesus states that he honors the Father. Jesus states that he does not seek his own glory. And Jesus says that if he was to glorify himself, it would be nothing. I think that's very powerful. This is not someone that has all of this glory in and of himself as an equal to God. This is Jesus stating, and I think stating honestly, that if he was to glorify himself, it would 
account for nothing. It would be insignificant. It would be worthless. Only the Father can give glory to Jesus. So his words by themselves, separate from the Father, would mean nothing. The Father is the one that gives Jesus glory. The Father is the one who authorized Jesus. The Father is the one who shares his prerogatives with Jesus. The Father is the one who sends and endorses Jesus. Jesus does nothing without the Father's permission. Now, the accusation of Jesus, quote, making himself out to be, end quote, someone greater than he really is, is a common theme in the Gospel of John. And it is one of the common objections to Jesus within the narratives. And I think this is a pretty important point because it's actually pretty regularly missed by casual readers. And I hate to even say this, even biblical Unitarian readers overlook this particular point. I'm going to give a few of the references here to where you can actually see how this works. So in our present passage, the accusation and the question is, whom do you make yourself out to be? In John 8, verse 53. They didn't say, who do you say that you are? They say, whom do you make yourself out to be? The accusation is that Jesus is making himself out to be someone that he isn't. That Jesus is claiming something that he does not legitimately possess. They think that Jesus is just claiming to be some sort of great figure, but really he isn't. Perhaps Jesus is accused of being a false messiah, a messianic pretender, someone who is insane, or at worst, a deliberate liar. And Jesus responds to this accusation with some important comments that should not be overlooked. Does Jesus agree that he is making himself out to be someone? That he is making himself out as doing something that is not proper with his own position? He answers by saying, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. Chapter 8, verse 54. Now, there was an accusation of this earlier in the Gospel of John, in chapter 5, verses 18 through 19, where the Jews thought that Jesus was making himself equal to God. And this resulted in Jesus not agreeing with them, but rather correcting them by saying, in 519, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. So Jesus responds by identifying himself as an obedient Son, not as a rebellious Son or a Son that's going off and doing his own thing apart from the Father, thereby giving dishonor to the Father. And this is also going to happen later in chapter 10, particularly in verses 33 through 36, where the Jews say that for good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself, there's that language, make yourself 
out to be God. Chapter 10, verse 33. And Jesus responds here by saying that the true God has called others gods, particularly those to whom the word of God came. Jesus says that the Father has sanctified me, and the Father has sent me as an agent. So, when Jesus is constantly being accused of making himself out to be someone illegitimately, he always responds by noting how the Father has empowered him, how the Father has sent him, how the Father has glorified him. He notes that he doesn't do anything on his own initiative. If he were to glorify himself, that glory would be nothing. And that this is something that the Father has done in the past. And in the chapter 10 reference, Jesus is able to cite scripture as a reference. So in every major instance where Jesus is accused of making himself out to be someone in an illegitimate way, Jesus never agrees with this accusation. He instead shows how the Father has authorized Jesus, how the Father glorifies Jesus, and how Jesus does absolutely nothing on his own initiative or accord. I think a very important part of our passage is the fact that Jesus reaffirmed monotheism to the Jews, a very specific type of monotheism, unitary monotheism. Verses 54 through 55 of chapter 8, Jesus says, It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I will be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. There is a stress in the Greek in this particular passage where Jesus is saying that you, you the Jews, you acknowledge that he is our God. The Jews agree that there is one God, that one God is the Father. And the you there in the Greek, the mis, is there in addition to the verb where the subject is already bound. So that stress there should be presented in readings in English. You say that he is our God. So Jesus' father is the God of the Jews. And the Jews have already made this particular claim about God as the father. They acknowledge that God is the father and that the father is their God. Jesus is saying, yes, God is the father of the Jews, but this father is also my father. And if the father is Jesus' father, that makes Jesus the son, the son of God, which is a title for the Messiah. Now, the God of the Jews in this particular passage is defined as a single person. You have not come to know him. I know him. If you say that I know him, and then, of course, the passage goes on by saying, I do know him. This God of the Jews is described as a single person multiple times in this particular passage where Jesus is acknowledging an agreement point with his Jewish interlocutors. They agree on the definition of who God is. He does not say that they're misunderstood on the definition of God. He reaffirms 
the Jewish monotheism, specifically unitary monotheism, by acknowledging that God is a single person, a single self, regarding God as a him multiple times in this passage. So it's clear that the Jews did not believe in the doctrine of the Trinity. Jesus agreed with the Jewish definition of God as our God, the Father as our God, and by defining this one God as a single person. And so Jesus himself clearly does not believe or teach the Trinity or try to redefine the monotheism of the Jewish people. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Please join us next week as we finish up our study of John chapter 8, looking specifically at the misunderstanding surrounding Jesus and Abraham, which leads to the claim by Jesus to say that before Abraham was, I am he. John 8, 58. How will our study of the theme of misunderstanding directly relate to this passage in the incorrect response of the Jews to what Jesus said? Please look forward to our next episode. Now, if you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting us as we promote the important non-negotiable truths about the oneness and unity of God and the humanity of Jesus. If you'd like to offer a donation, you may check in the link to this episode for a link to PayPal, and you may make a donation there. Thank you so much for supporting our podcast and for listening. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is produced and edited by Dustin Williams. My name is Dustin Smith, your host. Until next time, you folks, please take care.